0: Welcome back to the Snack Walls podcast. I'm Mike Roberts, your host, and we're here to talk about increasing and maintaining diversity in tech beyond the perks. While companies think they can lure people in with unlimited PTO and dogs in the office, we're here to talk about how you keep them. Snack Walls is powered by San Diego Code School, a social enterprise committed to developing tech equity through our groundbreaking apprenticeship program backed by a profitable tech services company. Our business model is to bring diversity into development by putting early career developers on appropriate level projects, with our oversight providing companies with quality engineering services at a significant cost savings. I'm going to throw it over to our special guest today. In a few sentences, can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do?
1: Thank you, Mike, for for having me today. My name is David Stocker and I'm the director of engineering at Four Mile Analytics, which is a full service data analytics consultancy. And what I focus on specifically is Creating very customized data experiences so that we can land the right data to the right people at the right time. Uh, it we work across the whole stack and in every possible imaginable, imaginable, uh, uh, imaginable technology that touches data. So it's a it's a quite exciting company uh, working with uh, a wide range of clients from very small companies who are just starting up to some of the biggest companies in the world.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I get super excited by data. I used to work in the ad tech space on like a two-sided marketplace, a company named Zito. So shout out to Zito. And it was super fun, super busy. And we collected a ton of data, in some cases, like uh, lots of people's information. And they would give it to us, of course. But it'd be interesting how much they would reveal for like uh, free giveaways. So um, that's a whole nother episode. But um I am hearing from a lot of tech leaders, if we dig into the diversity issue, um, about finding tech talent and it being difficult. So they say that finding diverse talent is a challenge. What are your thoughts?
1: I I couldn't agree more. And it's something that 4 Mile Analytics is 100% committed to trying to solve that problem. It's It's one of our core values and an objective that we're actively working on to diversify our talent base, because something that's a little bit unique about our company compared to... Other places I worked throughout my career as a technologist, is that as a consulting company, we're really selling um, uh, we're selling h- human capital. Like it, it's not, of course, all of our projects result in some kind of code artifact, uh, but the real work uh, that we do is is putting talented people in front of clients, helping understand what's the problem behind the problem, and um, deliberately working towards the best possible solution. In a way that we can get to value very quickly. And we, as I mentioned before, we work with so many different kinds of companies uh, with a lot of different organizational cultures that having uh, different viewpoints on our team and being able, and having folks who are uh, comfortable in an environment where uh, you're working with people who have different points of view, have different life experiences, we really view that as an asset to our firm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That diversity of experiences can really be helpful when you're trying to solve problems. So I love that. I love the aspect of, you know, really keying in on this being a benefit to the organization. So what do you think about the push to remove the CS degree requirements for many of the software roles that companies are starting to kind of participate in?
1: I'll, I'll start by saying it's not a requirement for our company, for developers coming to our company. And in my own personal experience, and even on our team today, we have folks who don't have CS degrees who are absolutely thriving in their roles. Um, I've worked with people who come from art backgrounds. Uh, I've worked with people who have, uh, did, don't have college degrees at all. Uh, and some of the best, like I, my my mentor, when I was kind of coming up in the in the field, uh, didn't attend college and he is like a brilliant engineer, brilliant architect. And I don't really feel like um, that's in, in impaired him in, in any way. So um, in my view, it's not a must have, uh, there's a lot of different ways people can come into the field. It 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 gets to get the the answer gets a little bit more nuanced, though when you look at uh, what other kinds of experiences, applied experiences in the field, that somebody has when they kind of come into your to my recruiting pipeline. Um, when when you're looking at a junior candidate, someone who has like maybe zero years of like production applied experience, I don't actually think a CS degree is on its own merits like that that's not going to necessarily mean this person's going to be a developer who can pick things up and uh, come up that uh, growth curve to become highly productive and, and a good contributor, uh, but it is, it is a signal. Um, and on the flip side, folks who come from code schools, uh, you know, it's a more compressed learning experience. So they might have a more targeted foundation of knowledge um, that maybe I, maybe I could benefit from, from that, those kind of, um, narrow skills that they're going to develop maybe is like uh, a particular technology, like a framework or something, uh, a language front end, maybe React on the front end, maybe Rails or Node.js in the back end. Um, we might be able to benefit from that on the, on the from day one, but what we really look for uh, in junior candidates generally is like what is their capacity to learn and grow quickly uh, and try to see what they, try to get folks who we feel like we can get them to that mid-level uh, where the problems and the technologies that they're going to be using are a little bit more ambiguous and uh, they can kind of wade into that with the degree of autonomy and independence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like you hit the nail right on the head when you said the degree is a signal and to some folks it's the only signal they're looking for. Um, but for other folks, they again are looking for maybe some other aspects. And so it's, it's super interesting that you use that particular um, you know, indicator um in your in your response so yeah I like that
1: i mean i i do i do value a, i do value cs background i don't actually have a cs degree myself i went through a bunch of the courses at my uh city college and went to a master's program that i didn't finish i felt like i got a lot of really great foundations that i still sure. apply to this day i go back to that still um but as i was saying before in our business uh we are consulting so like Technical skills, and that's sort of like a must-have. You have to have some applied technical skills that you come in and exercise on day one, but also having other skills that are usually not highly emphasized or valued in CS programs. Like, uh, are you somebody who has empathy? Can you communicate your ideas clearly and concisely? Can you understand what's important to another person? Those things are so highly valued uh, for consultants. and. It makes my job as somebody who's hiring folks harder because there's uh, it's harder to find folks who can kind of like hit all those different areas at the sure. same time. But yeah, those
0: soft skills are tough. Those soft skills are are hard to teach. Those are more experiential, right? Your yeah.
1: background. And so we, if we find someone who comes from uh, like a code school background and maybe they did another career before where they really got to exercise and master that, that's like a big win for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so that said, you mentioned you touched on code schools a couple of times. Do you think an apprenticeship pattern would work for tech roles?
1: I, I'd love to hear more about uh, what that looks like. I'm honestly not very familiar with that, with, what that means.
0: So uh, I think sometimes people are familiar with it. Um, if you think about like carpenters or electricians, plumbers, oftentimes mm-hmm. they go through some sort of a trade school, like a vocational trade school, and then they have a period of time where they work alongside of a master. And so that one-on-one where they're getting a chance to be out in the space, you know, they're they're out wiring up a house and they're working alongside someone that can basically help them. And they get a lot of that hands-on experience. And so the thought process is like, can we translate that kind of experience where uh, apprentices are getting opportunity to work alongside senior engineers and get that hands-on experience? So as I've described that, does that sound comparable or um, like a path that might work to get folks into an organization to be successful, maybe in some of the places that you've worked.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely, um, I can relate to what you're saying. And I think I I can think back and actually one or two companies where we've done things that were similar to that, maybe not using the same terminology. Uh, folks, uh, I, I'm thinking of a, pr- a prior company where I worked, uh, where we brought in a large group of folks who had gone through, uh, maybe it was like a two or three month code school. So it was pretty condensed. And we brought in a group of maybe five or eight folks uh, at a time. And at first they were pairing with each other and kind of small, low risk features to kind of really uh, refine and polish the skills that they had developed in the code school. And then we got them more in situations where they were uh, doing more pairing work and uh, getting more, get, finding more opportunities to get uh, into a mentor mentee relationship with mid and senior level engineers. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked great in that particular context. Of that group, I would say, uh, like we ended up extending job offers to probably 70 or 80%. Um, if it was, I don't, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it, it was probably like five people or so that we ultimately extended offers to. So I would say it's successful. Um, I would love to find, um, the opportunity to do that again in the future right now. I think it's one of the things that I think worked really well in that situation is, uh, we were in a reasonably small office space in an open floor plan. And it was really easy for folks to be transparent and visible about how they were doing, where they were getting stuck, tapping on someone's shoulder. And there's like just a little bit of osmosis that you can get, can get by sure. sitting side by side on folks who are working on similar things. I think in my company, which has always been fully distributed, and especially now where like almost all the companies are fully distributed, I, I would have to think long and hard about how to kind of replicate that. Um, that energy and the ability to help um, folks who are in that apprentice role kind of get bootstrapped and get the kind of line of sight to um, uh, how other folks in the team accomplish their job and uh, make it obvious and safe and visible for them to raise the flag when they need help and uh, you know need some help getting unstuck. So I, I think it's a little bit of a harder task in the distributed world, but um, eventually uh, COVID is going to be over. We can all go back to working in offices and. Uh, that that kind of problem uh, will be a thing of the past.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think it adds a unique dynamic to the to the work scenario. Um, but we've been able to kind of find um, within our program and within some of the organizations that I consult for um, opportunities for them to really dial up their skill set of collaboration and communication. We utilize some mob programming, so it sounds like you're familiar with pair programming. Um, mob programming is just that on steroids, right? So you've mm-hmm. got five people in front of two big screen. Um, TVs to big 80 inch monitors, um, versus having, you know, two people pairing on the same computer. So, um, that I agree. The tooling, though, is not as advanced as all the fancy things that we can do in person. And the in person experience is still, you know, unparalleled, but, um, there we're making some strides, right? There's, there are folks that are, you know, tr- trying to make that uh, a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's definitely tricky. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, Hoping COVID goes away sooner rather than later. So well, maybe um,
1: at some point I can I can I interview you about what works as far as t- kind of how do you how do you replicate that um experience well, there in are distributed much,
0: much smarter guys than me. So shout out to Woody Zool. Woody Zool is uh, sort of like the the godfather of mob programming and um, I'll actually be talking to him a little bit and sharing how we're doing it on an event later on this month um, but he's he's the true uh visionary in terms of how you can collaborate not only on site as a mob and mob together, but um, they're now shifting to doing all their sessions virtual. He's usually like traveling all wow. the world doing it so wow, that's um, great Does't work for everything, check that out so. but uh, yeah check out mob programming MOB mob programming it's like I said pair programming on steroids so
1: yeah well for sure.
0: Um, what about um, for companies that are successful in um, attracting diverse talent? Do you have any thoughts about how you can keep and retain diverse talent? Um,
1: I, I think that, you know, I, I think that it's really about understanding um, as, as somebody who uh, manages other folks, what's most important to me is trying to Uh, get a good rapport, a good trusting relationship with um, everybody on my team, and to the point where I can really um, try to do my best to get an understanding of what makes them tick, what motivates them, uh, what are their frustrations that they experience in a professional setting, and then uh, getting that insight uh, to do what I can and to structure the team in a way uh, that can support that individual's aspirations. So I think that... um, um, that's a, a starting point for everybody I, I don't know that that directly connects to diversity um but but i do think that um being deliberate in terms of uh, recruiting and promoting folks of of all different backgrounds is is essential um, it is it is frankly a challenge um and i think my company in particular is pretty pretty early in terms of um it's Existence. We're only three years out, and I feel, and our our management team feels like it's really incumbent upon us to um, uh, start being deliberate in recruiting and retaining diverse talent now, so that uh, as the company grows and gets bigger, uh, that just becomes baked in DNA. It's not something that is easy to reverse course if you get it wrong in the early stages, um, and you have uh, a very homogenous uh, management team, uh, a homogenous executive team. Um, if you don't have, um, if you don't start early and, and even as far as on an individual contributor levels, it just becomes a lot harder uh, for teams to um, uh, bring in folks of, of different backgrounds if there's so much history of the same. Sure.
0: Yeah, I think that inertia makes the job harder and harder. So um, I, I would definitely agree with that. But but having that diverse um the leadership team I think it makes that process go a little bit smoother so I, I agree that you got to be forward thinking you got to be putting in the work from the very beginning um, who is somebody like yourself that you'd suggest as a person we might want to invite um, to be a guest on the podcast somebody that you think is a good uh, good leader good role model that's of that same kind of philosophy
1: you know I, I had a, a former uh, manager who's a director of engineering at my last company uh, can be health solution. Uh, her name's Hazel John. And she manages a pretty large portfolio, and um, and I, I think that um, she's she's very dialed into these uh, these kinds of questions. I would I would suggest you reach out to her, and I'll definitely um, send her a note saying that you that you awesome. might do that.
0: All right, she's on the radar. So where can we find out more information about your company? Uh, this is a great time for any shameless plugs. If you guys are working on that special,
1: well, we have a website fourmile.io. Uh, we're about to re relaunch it in about three weeks' time. So what you see there is is from years ago, kind of how That's we saw the way, ourselves way back the Yep. And um Yep, uh, and what we have been doing, we've been doing a lot of really exciting work in the past year, couple years, which will be reflected in the site uh, just a few weeks out. Um, we also have the, uh, the founder of our company, uh, a gentleman named Nick Vogler, is going to be uh, doing a presentation at Google Next, uh, which really okay. talks about the power of custom data experiences and how it can help elevate Uh, and democratize business users principally access to um, making sense of their organization through the use of data. So I think that'll be pretty, uh, pretty interesting as well for folks who have an eye on what's happening in the data world.
0: Awesome. Well, um, (coughs) that brings us to the last and the most important question. And that is, what have you been snacking on lately? What is your favorite snack?
1: I just am eating a lot of carrots and hummus like uh the weather's hot right. and so vegetable based products is where i'm at right now um it's also you feel good you feel good about yourself yeah, that's awesome rather i love than the, reaching healthy for the potato chips yeah
0: yep apples and in some uh peanut butter that's always tasty as well so i like that healthy snacks so give us our your website one more time please fourmile.io and again, thank you, David, for coming on the program. Um, this has been an op- awesome uh, opportunity to talk to you, especially somebody that's such a sharp engineering leader at an organization that's doing the right thing. So
1: I love it. Thanks, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Mike.
0: You're welcome. So we'll have a description of that in the show notes below. Thanks again for coming on the program. And for anybody else that's out there watching, listening on the interwebs, make sure you like, like subscribe, and check out more episodes of Snackballs. I'm Mike Roberts, and until next time, Peace. The San Diego Code School is a proud sponsor of the Snack Walls podcast. The San Diego Code School is leading companies to tech equity. The tech-enabled apprenticeship program is a venture whose heart is to do a lot of social good and do good work. You can help San Diego Code School secure funding for change by hiring developers, bringing a team in to relieve your backlog, or becoming a program sponsor. You can visit us on the web for more information at http colon forward slash forward slash sdcs.io.